For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome back to Fourth Down Focus, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I am Dan Lundy, host of the podcast and founder of Fourth Down University. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Whether it's live bets during games or futures for who you think will win a championship, Bet Online has the latest odds, news, and information for all of your sports betting needs. Visit the website betonline.ag to join and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, check out Bets Online, your online sportsbook experts. Episode 44 of the podcast welcomes Nolan Carroll. Carroll's a native of Green Cove Springs, Florida, where he attended Clay High School. He played both soccer and football in high school. He was considered a three-star prospect by rivals in football, and he would eventually receive offers from UCF, Colorado, Louisville, Maryland, and Ole Miss. Ultimately, Carroll would commit to play for Maryland, where he would play wide receiver, corner, and even on some special teams. Carroll was eventually selected by the Miami Dolphins in the fifth round of the 2010 NFL Draft. He played corner and special teams for the Dolphins before signing with the Eagles in 2014, and finally the Cowboys in 2017, where he would finish his NFL career. Currently, Carroll is the head football coach and athletic director of Jacksonville Athletic Academy in Jacksonville, Florida. Nolan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Mr. Lundy. How about yourself? I'm doing well, man. We met, what, uh, about a week ago in person. I've known of you. You know, I was doing some research on the show today, and I had no clue, no clue that you were the dude that got caught up on the sideline by that jet strength coach years back. I saw I was watching that game live and and I like to watch the perimeter play. I love watching gunners and people who cover them. And I love seeing that guy beat a double coverage, but I was watching you by chance. And I was like, holy, I think that dude just got tripped. And I said it and my boy was like, no, 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 no. He was just out of bounds, come back in. And I'm like, no, no, no. I think he just got tripped for real. And it was, you know, it was that sideline view. So it was far away, but sure enough, I was like, that was you. Yeah, what sure. a small world, man. Yeah. That that's awesome. Like I know it wasn't awesome, but could you <laughs> describe real quick when you when it initially happened? Did you feel a knee on a knee? Like what was your thought? Because I know you knew where you were, but did you yeah. think you hit someone, or did you know someone came at you? Yeah, no, I knew I hit somebody because we're always taught as gunners once you go out of bounds, try and reestablish yourself, kind of give yourself that arc to uh, use the sideline to your advantage and get back in bounds. And that gives you about, at least for me, it gave me 30, 40 yards to where I could just run and just use my speed. So I beat the double team outside. And I remember coming back in and I just saw all these green shirts lined up. And when I was trying to re-enter back into bounds, I just said, let me, I'll skim off them. I already knew in my head, I'm going to skim around them or at least brush by them. 
but they're not going to be dumb enough to try and hit me. You know, most of the time guys will get in the way, use their backs and stuff, but nobody's bold enough, or at least I thought at the time, nobody was bold enough since the rules had changed uh, for gunners to, pro to uh, protect gunners on the sideline that he wouldn't stick his knee out and hit me, but I felt it. And I kind of saw it at the end when I was coming inbounds and then my, my knee buckles in. I just remember falling and, and tumbling, but the, the funniest part of it was I'm on the sideline. The trainers are coming over and I'm telling them I got tripped. I, I kept saying it over and over. Somebody tripped me on that sideline and they're all saying, no, nah, that didn't happen. You, you know, you just hit the wall, whatever. So I remember getting up as we were getting ready to cross the 50 yard line. Cause it happened on their sideline. My coach, coach Sperano, coach uh, Darren Rizzi, they were livid on the sidelines cause they saw it. They, they showed a replay in the whole stadium and, and I thought that was also kind of weird because we're playing there in the Meadowlands. Why would they show something that incriminates them? But, you know, they ended up doing that. And, you know, my coaches were pissed. And then, you know, when, when I'm walking on the sideline, my trainer's like, oh, yeah, you were right. You did get tripped. I'm like, yeah, no, duh, I did. But now that game is forever infamous because of that. But also, too, I'd like to add, I had my first career pick in that game. And that's what everybody forgets in light of all of this was the fact that I did. I played really well. And, and my coach, uh, he gave me an opportunity. It was really my first, actually, it was my second game where I got to play more. So I, I definitely took advantage of that. But it's just funny. The icing on the cake was more centered around getting tripped. Well, that's the media, right, is people want to talk about negative things, you know. Yeah. But but I think I recall that was Mark Sanchez, right, your first pick. Is that right? Yes, it was. Nice. Mark Sanchez against uh, San Antonio Holmes. The Super Bowl MVP. So that's what I remember about that whole game. And San Antonio Holmes was who you recovered on that punt until you got tripped up. That was yeah. that was the yeah. punt returner. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Well, small world, man. I, that's why I like doing this show. Honestly, is when I have guests, I really I want to find out a little, dig a little deeper. When I didn't have to dig too deep to realize I already knew who you were from then. Uh, so yeah. I want to go into that too. Um, the thing that stood out to me most, and I think that we're a product of our environments, and unfortunately, it sounds like you came up in a very structured, disciplined one. Your mother is a former lieutenant governor of Florida, and your father, he's a former senior master sergeant in the U.S. Air Force. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, they were. <laughs> okay. So can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in a Nolan household and the expectations probably put on you? Yeah, I, honestly, the expectations were, they were high, but it was high in the fact of always striving for greatness. It wasn't necessarily in sports. It was just whatever you do in life, make sure you do it 100% and you do it with integrity. You do it with trust and you you earn your respect that way. And a lot of the values that my parents instilled in me came from the military as far as being disciplined, as far as working hard, working with the team, you know, having somebody value and trust your word because that's what the military is. And for them to instill those things, not necessarily pounding it in my head, but leading by example. You know, my mom was in the military for 20 years. My dad was in there for 25 years. Mom ended up retiring as a lieutenant commander and my dad a senior master sergeant. Those are high ranking individuals. And for them to do it really starting at the bottom, they're both enlisted. Uh, I think when they were 18, you know, my mom enlisted when she, she actually, it's a funny story. It's in her book. She enlisted in the military and had no idea that she didn't have a visa or a green card. And that's how she found out that she had to get all those things first. But she ended up enlisting as an aviation mechanic back in the 70s. That's unheard of, especially as a woman and being an African-American woman. She really started at the bottom for her to go all the way up like that is very impressive. And the same with my father. He uh, He's from Liberty City down, down in Miami. And for him, he just wanted to get out of the hood. That was his biggest thing. He wanted to get out of the hood and and build a family. That was his 
only goal is to have a family because he didn't have one growing up. His, his father died when he was two years old and you know his mother left and went to California cross country. So he's really raised by his uncle and he always wanted a family. And that was his reason to really get into the military so he could travel and you know eventually have his own family. And that's what he ended up doing. So, you know, for both of them to strive for greatness like that and, and break the mold of their own situations, instilling that in me is what I'm still tr- striving to do is, is aiming high and, and eventually do that with my son as well. I have a seven-year-old and I just want to instill those same values that my parents instilled in me. Wow. Like, I, I think it's so important that, you know, and unfortunately that a lot of people that we play with or played with, they came from bad uh, situations, you know, mm-hmm. single family homes, or I live with a, a grandma or ho- hopefully someone that's blood related. But when, when someone doesn't have those, those resources, those immediate resources, like, what do you tell a kid? Cause you see these types of people, um, you you're in the process right now where you help kids that may have not prioritized school in high school, but now are kind of growing up and figuring out that like, Hey man, dotting I's and crossing T's is essential, especially if you have aspirations to play Saturdays. And I mean, if you're lucky enough, maybe a chance on Sunday, but can you, mm-hmm. can you tell people like, what, what advice would you give to someone who maybe didn't have the, the, the mom and dad you had, but they still have resources. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about attention to detail in everything that you do. And that's what we try and instill with our players is every, every single day that you come in, or you have to come in on time. You have to come in ready to work. It's not coming in at, when we start practicing at 2.15, it's not coming in at 2.10 and get ready. It's coming in at 1.45, 2 o'clock, doing the little things that matter the most. And in life, it's, it's always about the little things, how you wake up, how your routine is in the morning. How do you get, you know, how do you get to work on time? How do you get to school on time? What are you doing after? Are you taking care of your body? Are you taking care of your schoolwork? Are you helping your teammates? Those little things, most of those guys weren't really taught. It was just, and it sucks to even say this, but most high school coaches aren't thinking about that. They're just thinking about winning, winning, winning. That's the same thing in life too. It's just one, do one thing. You can kind of do it halfway and then go to the next thing without completing it. And and what we're trying to do and instill here at, at the academy is letting these kids know that all these little things that you do repetitively day in and day out, they turn into big things. And those big things are ultimately what people see, but they don't see the work behind the scenes of what you've done day in and day out to make sure that you get that end result that you desire. And what you're saying is not just lip service. I mean, because you said with your parents, it's, it's their words were impactful, but their actions is what made the most impact on you and influenced you into who you are now. And I think what I'm trying to get at is I, in reading about you, um, you broke your leg, not once, but twice. And weirdly enough, I was, I was kind of looking at this last night. You broke your leg about five years, almost exactly uh, apart because it was two very impactful times in your career. Your first broken leg was senior year in high school, a few months, a few months before national signing day. I think it was early in your season and your senior year. And then mm-hmm. fast forward to Maryland, you know, you're about to transition to the NFL. People are looking at you already evaluating you kind of forecasting your draft status and boom, it happens again. You break your leg about three or four months prior to uh, the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk a little bit about these adversities? Cause I mean, they're good examples of adversity that they could have been life-changing for the worse how did you how did you overcome stuff like that? Because I think you have to to realize that things are going to happen um, to all of us and sometimes they're not good things. And it's how we respond to those things is, is, is of the utmost importance. Could you share how you handled those? And did you mature after the first one? Was it harder the second one? Could you just share a little bit about this? 
Yeah, I can. I actually broke my leg three times, same leg three times. I broke it uh, my last year, no, my second to last year in Philadelphia in 2015 as well. And that was during my uh, my contract year, one of my other contract years. But going back to high school, I just think it's within you. For me, just what my parents instilled in me about always working hard and always persevering, because there's a lot of things that I saw my mom do. When she retired, she transitioned into politics and she ran against an incumbent lady in, in District 3 um, twice, and she lost two times. And, you know, my mom could have stopped. She could have just said, you know what, this isn't for me. Let me go ahead and do something else. She was persistent. She ran again, and she ended up winning um, a council seat, and then she ended up moving up the ranks, and she ultimately became the second most powerful person in the state of Florida. And, you know, that, to me, just seeing that let me know that, hey, look, the things that I'm going through now, even though it's hard and I don't understand it, try and find a lesson in it. And the same thing with my father. You know, he could have easily stayed where he was in Liberty City and just been like, you know what, I'll just stay in the hood. But he decided to make a way for himself. And that's ultimately the same way you know, I was brought up. No matter the situation, always do your best, always work hard. And fortunate enough, from my sophomore year to my senior year, I had already laid the groundwork of what type of athlete I was. You know, I was playing football, I was playing soccer, I was running track. I did well in football. I always had the opportunities that were given to me. I never complained because we were run heavy offense and you know, we never had a deep threat receiver. So when I came in, it was like, well, let's just throw it up to Nolan. So every single time my number was called, I always tried to take that advantage. And after the season, I still worked on the craft, even though I didn't know too much about football. I was going to camps. I was letting people know who I was. So when I broke my leg that first time, it wasn't like, oh, you know, Nolan didn't do enough. We don't know enough about him. I had so much on my resume that by the time that stuff happened, you know, Maryland was like, we still think highly of you. We still want you to come here. Ole Miss was the same way. Florida, same way. Colorado, the same way. Those are my top four choices. And, you know, ultimately, I, I didn't, I lost maybe one or two scholarships and that was it from that injury. But I was still persistent enough to, to not even give up. Even if I did lose those scholarships, I was going to continue to work. I was going to continue to be the best version I could be and overcome that situation. You know, the next time when I was in Maryland, same almost same situation. I was rated, I think, the fourth best corner, seventh best, something like that, coming out in the draft out of like 140 corners that were going to come out. And preseason, I was a preseason Thorpe uh, watch list. I was a preseason ACC uh, conference, whatever that that thing is. All those preseason hype awards that you got. And I had a second round, early first round grade. And for me, when I broke my leg again, the second game of the season, when I was on that field, I told myself, you've been through this before. You know exactly what's gonna go on next. You're gonna go and get surgery. After you get surgery, you're gonna be in a lot of pain the next day, you're gonna be drugged up. Like I knew the process. So the second time it rolled around, I wasn't shocked at all. I just knew what I had to do. I knew it, the recovery process would probably be seven months. I knew after that, look, it's in God's hands. Like I can't sit here and worry myself about the scenario. But luckily enough, like I said, again, I had laid the groundwork for the last four and a half years I was at Maryland. So that was, for me, that was a burden off my chest because I didn't have to worry too much. And it goes back to the integrity, the discipline, the, the stuff that my parents instilled. I show that at Maryland. So it was the coaches that vouched for me. It was my strength coach that vouched for me. It was players that vouched for me. So when I was getting scouted by these teams, and I'll never forget it, I was coming into work out with my strength coach, and he came up to me and he said, Nolan, it's time for you to leave. 
Like you, I had another year, they granted me another year to come back. And he said, I don't want you to come back. You've done everything you possibly can. And now it's time for you to go to the NFL. You're going to get drafted. Don't worry about that. So just go ahead, continue to rehab, continue to do what you do. Don't worry about the outside stuff. Just worry about what you need to do. And let's get back right. Show these guys that you can still play. And that's exactly what happened. I got to the combine. I didn't do anything there, but I was able to talk to coaches, letting them know the following week I had my uh, my pro day. So all every every team showed up just to see me work out and you know, I put on a show. And, and that right there solidified everything. And I was fortunate enough to get drafted in the fifth round after all of that, missing my senior year nobody not really knowing and still get drafted. You know, it was a blessing for me. So definitely comes back to my foundation of what my parents, you know, bred me to, to become what I am today. I love that story. And I think it's, it's really important to note for people listening that it's not just football, right? Like this life, life happens to all of us. And I think it's the one, it's the people that, that realize that we all have problems. Just again, it's like, yeah. How am I going to deal with it? And I love what you said. It's like, take it one day at a time. You know, I think, I think people get overwhelmed with, well, how am I going to get to the result? Yeah. The results a long way away sometimes, especially exactly. when you're talking about recovering from injury and surgery, but I appreciate you sharing that, man. Like I just wanted to clear up that because I wasn't sure I was reading it last night. And I, I, I thought, was it a tib fib fracture? Is that what you had? Yeah. It? Now that's a shin. I bet that's painful. <laughs> it was very painful. <laughs> very painful. All three times it was painful. Oh man, I'm so, was it right or left leg? It was my right leg. Both all well, my right leg was my tib fib, and then the second time tib fib, and then next time it was lower ankle. So when I was in Philly, I ended up tearing three ligaments and my fibula, and that was the same scenario. Everybody was from trainers to the scouts, coaches. They're all just like, yeah, we don't know if you'll ever play again. And, you know, I, I was kind of taken back because it was my own team that was kind of saying this. And once again, I, all I had to do was go back to what I already went through. I went through it twice already. And I, I told myself, you got, you went through this two times and you overcame them both times and came out better. What's the difference between this time? There's no difference. It, you can't control what the, the, the GM is going to do. You can't control what teams are going to do. You just get back healthy, show them that you can, and go from there. They, they thought it would be a year process. I was back in six months. So, you know, I was able to defy those odds. I was able to not only want to prove to them, but prove to myself that I was able to come back because this was a little bit more complicated injury. So it all comes down to the foundation, man. If you believe you can do it, nobody can tell you you can't. And and that's where I think my belief in, in everything that I do is so strong because I always believe I can do something. Yeah, like one of my favorite quotes is whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right, you know, because exactly. you're going to determine that. But I wanted to flip it over to now you as a coach. I mean, you you were impressive, man. And it's awesome that you're sharing your, your experience as a player. But my final two questions for you is you as a coach. And uh, mm -hmm. you are right now you're the head coach of uh, Jacksonville Athletic Academy. And I mentioned in the beginning of the show, you're also the athletic director. Can you can you explain a little bit? Because um, I know there's more than just football there, but briefly, what JAA is, um, who it's for, what the purpose is for these uh, athletes, student athletes, I should say, in their transition to somewhere else. Yes, the first and foremost, Jackson Athletic Academy is a junior college, and the reason why we, well, first, my brother's the one that created this whole idea because my brother played um, semi-pro for basketball, and I obviously I played professionally for football and. You know, one day we were talking last year and he, he told me this whole plan of what he wanted to do. And he said, Nico, that's great for basketball because he has connections professionally overseas too with the NBL and, and FIBA. So that works so well. But then he presented to me 
Nolan, why don't you do football? You know football in and out. You've been playing it for the last 16 years. You played almost 10 years professionally. Why don't we just do that? Because I think with everything that went on from COVID, a lot of kids that lost scholarships, either their GPAs were low or they just got passed up. And that's kind of the reason why we want to start Jays, give those kids that opportunity to almost rebound and, and also, too, to prove their worth out, out on the field. Because a lot of kids couldn't play. A lot of kids lost scholarships because other schools were bringing back their seniors and they're giving an extra year to their juniors because some teams might have played one game this last season and then now they're playing a full game or a full season this year. So it's just about presenting that opportunity, but we're doing it in a unique way. I think from a head coaching standpoint, I have experiences on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. Uh, when I came to Maryland, I was a receiver. That's what I was recruited as around the nation. So that's what everybody knew me as, as a receiver. And I, I got the opportunity to be coached by Ralph Regan. He ended up taking the Chargers to the Super Bowl in 94, ended up losing. But that offense was a pro-style offense, and it was very complicated. And, and I struggled with it. But it wasn't until I got to the defensive side of the ball where I understood offense because I had been there. And then I was able to understand how the defense can affect the offense and how the offense can affect the defense, what beats you, what doesn't beat you. And then all those things just started to combine together as far as when I was watching film, watching it with different coaches. And then as the years gone on, I was just, I was lucky enough to get coached by a lot of Hall of Fame coaches. You know, uh, Bill Parcells was the one that drafted me to, to Miami and, and just being able to hear him and speak to him about certain things about coaching was very important. Uh, the late Tony Sperano, who was my coach, he, he passed away a few years ago in Miami. He was another one. He was in Dallas with those guys. So he, he saw what it looked like from a, a standpoint of a team being together because he was with Jimmy Johnson at the time and Bill Parcells. Then I got coached by Doug Peterson who won a Super Bowl. I got coached by Todd Bowles who won a Super Bowl. So all these people that I was around day in and day out that helped me so much to grow, I'm able to do the same thing with these guys and give them that experience from lifting to nutrition, to practice, to scheme, to just little advice, tidbits that they can use that you know, when I was playing and when I was in college, I wasn't getting this information. All of it for me, it was trial and error. So for, for me to come back and give it to these guys, it's almost like they're skipping four or five years and they're already in the NFL. I want to treat these guys like they're pro players. I want to get them in that mode and that mindset. So when they do leave from JA, they're ready to play immediately right now. And there was an interesting stat that I saw with um, the SEC and junior colleges. Tennessee has 16 junior college players on their team that were formerly playing in junior college. Alabama has 11. Um, Auburn has eight. And I believe Arkansas has eight as well, too. So that lets you know that immediately these kids are going to play and they're looking for that talent to play immediately, at least in the SEC. So it's the same thing around the country. They're always looking for guys that are ready to play now. That's why they're always getting these five star, four star guys because they want them implemented on their team to make an immediate impact. And hopefully we can do that same thing with our, our academy and, and getting these guys ready for that. I think that your resiliency in your career as a player is a perfect fit for a, for a situation like JAA. Um, I have a, a kicker that's playing for you now and he wasn't, it's not like he was a bad student. He just needs uh, a little bit more time. The, the COVID thing, the turnover in COVID and how a lot of kids got like a sixth year, if you will, it hurt, it hurt everyone, and, and especially hurt the specialists. So a guy, a guy like Christian Bartley, who's playing for you, that's going to be a freshman, um, super talented. But I think a guy, like, a guy like him needs to hear your message, you know, because he is a little down 
and he's in his feelings about, you know, he, he thought he belonged somewhere. And I have about a dozen of those kids that they've got to go somewhere for the time being. And mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be the one or two, or hopefully all of them that respond, like you mentioned earlier, because uh, right now, Christian and all those guys that played for you, they've got a blessing with you and your staff and their situation to, to go out this fall and get some really impactful film and then get moving. You know, yeah. so I'm, I'm grateful that there's coaches like you in these positions that are good fits because sometimes there's not good fits. They're just taking yeah. the job to coach. Yeah. Um, last question. You know, my favorite thing about you is the fact that you always played special teams. And this show is called Fourth Down Focus. And we love to talk about that. So just to finish this up here, you covered kicks, you returned kicks, et cetera, in college, the NFL, I imagine high school. Um, what does special teams mean to you now as a head coach? As a head coach, it's well, even when I was a player, the importance of special teams is vital. You see in games, especially in the NFL, there's it comes down to three points or less most of the time. It's very competitive and it's all about field position with special teams. When you start, uh, when you start a game, it starts with kickoff and kickoff return, either offensive defense and field position is vital. That's why we have goals on special teams. If you can tackle a guy inside the 20, well, guess what? On defense, there's a high probability that they're not going to score. They're not even going to cross the 50-yard the, the line because they're backed up. If you're on punt and you can down it inside the five, well, it goes down even more significantly to help the defense. And, you know, what I was taught, you know, being just on those two uh, categories of, of special teams, you got to play it hard. It's one fast play. You got to run like a Ferrari, basically, because – you're not only doing it for yourself, you're doing it for your defense. And if you can keep them backed up, if you can change, you can flip the script as far as field position, ultimately you can win the game. And the same thing with kickoff return. If you can get it over the 50, your higher chances are you're going to score. Same thing with punt return. So if you can do those things, and you, you, you can't take it as, and I used to do that, I'll make them on special teams, it don't really count. That's not true. You're just as important as anybody that plays on offense or anybody that plays on defense. And I was able to get my opportunity in the NFL or at least starting on defense because I value special teams so much. And I was able to put my best foot forward to show these coaches, Nolan is pretty good at, at what he does. Let's give him a shot on defense. And sure enough, I wouldn't even be ready. I and mean, I wouldn't take any snaps, at least my rookie season, I wouldn't take any snaps at, on defense. But then my coach would be like, oh, hey, we're going dime. You got to get in. I'm like, all right, cool, let's go. But it's only because they had that confidence in me that I knew my job and I did it well. And that gives them trust to be able to put me in those situations where they know I can succeed. And ultimately, I was able to play eight years based on the fact that, look, if, if we have another guy that's starting above Nolan, at least we know he can still play special teams. Or if we have a guy go down, which it was like that my last year in Philly, we were playing the Giants on Thursday night and we had two of our gunners go down. And my coach, uh, Coach Dave Phipp, which I love him to death, he comes to me. He's like, Nolan, can you cover a punch for me? I know you got to go on on defense you got to cover Odell, but can you just cover the, the punt for me? I was like, yeah, no problem. And that's the trust factor where it comes in, where they know I'm capable to do these things time in and time again and in these crunch situations because they trust me because of what I was able to do on special teams. So you really got to value it. You really got to take it as a key piece of the team. And I've really been selective with the guys that I want to play special teams and let them know how vital they are to, to that unit because – you can create your own identity from that. And we've had guys throughout the years, I can tell you right now, you can clump them in a group. Those were our core special teams guys. And they're the ones that ultimately got us the, the wins. You know, there are guys also that were responsible for the losses too, because 
one mistake could be a, a big play. You know, it could either be a big play on kickoff, kickoff return, be a fumble punt. It could be a, a block kick. You know, it could be all these different things in special teams that people don't really – they don't focus on as much because they just watch offense, defense. They watch the long touchdowns, the pick sixes. That's what they all really want to see. But the war really done within special teams. Yeah, I – and, you know, it's one in six plays, and I love what you said about the starting position. And I saw, like, Urban Meyer used to put a chart up uh, in his in his team meeting rooms that said, like, the the probability of scoring, you know, when the possession starts at the minus 40 to the to the 50 yeah. to the plus 40. It's fascinating when you when you see oh, yeah. when you see the efficiency of offenses historically that have to go 90 yards, the chances of them getting three points is like 10 percent. So it's 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 fascinating, and I I think that football is getting smarter. So a question like that was was different, or an answer to that question was different twenty years ago. But I think that most people now acknowledge it. But I think that very few people will practice and show it through action, time spent in practice. You know, mm-hmm. like, let's allocate two or three periods. Let's let's do some before and after position specific stuff. Um, let's involve some impactful players. You know, I get it. I mean, quarterbacks shouldn't be involved in certain situations, but I think that you can attest that, man, like when you get when you get higher up in the levels, unless you're a, a first round dude who's untouchable, you're probably going to be an impactful special teams player because you're, cause you're yeah. good. You know, we need those third rounders to show effort in special teams. Right. Oh, yeah. um, so I want to just close the show out and I always ask my guests and I have two questions for you. I'd like you yeah. to share a way that the audience, if they wanted to reach you on social media, could get a hold of you. And I'd also like you to share a little bit about the Nolan Carroll Foundation. Okay. Yeah, I'll start with the first question. Well, you can find me on all platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, I'm on Snapchat. Sometimes I am. Um, you know, basically, all of them. And it's Carroll City. You know, it's just, it's, I can't change it. So I just, I just stuck with it. When I was down in Miami, the biggest city was, well, the biggest famous city was Carroll City. And my last name was Carroll. So I just did Carroll City and, left it there and I've been trying to change it on Instagram, but I guess it's a sign not to change it. So you can find me there. And the Nolan Carroll foundation is my foundation that I founded or created back in 2016. And I wanted to create that to let people know about STEM education. And when you think STEM education, you only think like scientific stuff, science, technology, engineering, math, but it's deeper than that. It's more about critical thinking. It's more about thinking outside the box, being problem solvers and giving back to the community, basically. And that's a lost start for our youth is thinking outside the box. And you see a lot of kids that aren't sufficient in taking care of themselves. And we need to get back to that. We need to show them that they are capable. They are able to do what it is that people limit them to do. There's so many things within STEM as far as just lessons that teaches them to think, you know, think for themselves and gain that confidence that when they do get older, they can at least survive in society. They can do things to help out their community. They can do things to help others. And that's all it is about, you know, it's just giving back and, and giving basically through my experiences and what I'm my resources to, to do that early on for these early kids, especially elementary school, because, you know, that's where it starts. You know, these teachers are in a disadvantage, especially nowadays they're in a disadvantage because they're not given all the supplies that they need to, really have the kids be engaged. It's, it's more than just coming to class and just opening up a book and hearing a teacher speak. Let's get more interactive. It's the same as football. If we were to just be in meetings and you guys just write things all day and I tell you to go out and practice without a walkthrough, 
you're not really going to get it as right as you would where we're just doing walkthroughs all day. You've seen it. You know what it feels like. You're hearing it from somebody else. Okay, trial and error. This works. This doesn't work. And that's what it is with STEM as well. Things that work, things that don't work. One of the the prime things that we have is you know, marshmallows with toothpicks trying to make a bridge. Can you get some, Can you get something from one side to the other? It's just small things that we do to engage these these young kids to understand that I can do it. I am capable of creating my own whatever it is, your own business, you know, your own team, your own whatever. And that's what I want to accomplish is giving them that confidence to do whatever it is they put their minds to. I love it because people spend, I mean, Fortune 500 companies spend big dollars to bring in people to facilitate these activities for team building and all this. And you're giving these kids an experience that, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's subconsciously helping because it seems fun and it seems mundane and routine and simple, but they're learning. And I think that's, that's the trick. That's the trick to being a good teacher, a good coach is not to trick them into learning, but to make sure that they're having fun while doing so. So they come back and they're engaged and they're listening. So I, I love it, man. Coach, you're, it was such an awesome, awesome time today. Um, it means a lot to everyone uh, here at Fourth Down Focus that you were able to share so much information on on everything, your career, your family, uh, what's going on now in your life, the foundation. Um, please uh, give us a five-star rating, a review, subscribe to the show and share it with a friend. If you have questions related to the podcast, suggestions for future topics and guests, or if you just have feedback for me, you can reach me in several ways. My website is fourthdownu.com. On social media, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Fourth Down U. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find me by simply searching Dan Lundy, L-U-N-D-Y. Thanks again for joining us at Fourth Down Focus, presented by Bets Online. We'll see you next week with an exciting new guest. I hope 2021 is treating each of you well. And remember, in all things, give thanks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.